If you're a guest here, we're starting a brand new series today, so great time to have you with us. Uh, as you can tell from the screen and everything around me, the series is simply called Mature, and it has a theme that comes out of uh, the book of Ephesians. Actually, it's part of a much larger passage, but I'm just going to show you this little piece because this is what it's all about. It says that we may no longer be children, rather we are to grow up in every way. That we may no longer be children, but we are to grow up in every way. And I think that that is one of our Heavenly Father's favorite things to do is to watch us grow. I, I think when he just sits in heavens and, and he looks at who you were and, and how you change and how you become more like him, I think it just brings a smile to his face. Because I'm, I'm a father. I've got four children. And, and you know, when they were little, you look at them do something so cute and you think they are so cute, I hope they never grow up, right? Parents, you've always done that. But then as they grow, you keep thinking, oh, but this is a cute stage. Man, I love this. And then someday they outgrow cute, but then they can do other things like race you down the mountain if you go skiing or, or whatever the story is for you and your particular talents that you have in your family there. But what I've discovered is I, I've loved watching my children grow every step of the way. And uh, matter of fact, I talk about my children a lot, if y'all haven't noticed, uh, but that's just one of the privileges of having the microphone. I get to talk about my kids and, and show you pictures. You two can get your own microphone someday. But in the meantime, uh, I want to show you a picture because actually about two weeks ago, I was standing in the lobby talking to someone and my daughter came up and she needed to ask a question. And when she walked away, the person looked at me and said, I had no idea that was your daughter. So I'm going to rectify the situation for all of you, if you would turn to the screen. Uh, and I want to show you a picture of my sweet little Sophie, everybody. Isn't she adorable? There you go. Oh, I love that. See, you're my favorite people now. Look at that. There you go. Yeah, so look, here's the thing. I love her so much. I, I love watching her grow. She is uh, just adorable and remarkable in every way. Matter of fact, one of the things that I think is most remarkable about her is she doesn't look her age at all. Because she's actually 24 years old. Why don't you believe me? I'm a pastor, I wouldn't lie, especially in church. I mean, come on. You know why you don't believe me? Because it's overwhelmingly obvious that she's not 24 years old. Now here's the truth, you don't have a problem with me having a 24 year old child, I'm old enough to do that, right? Okay, I actually do have a 24 year old child back in the booth right now, helping run all of the stuff that we have going on. I could have a 24 year old child, but you can look at her and know she's not my 24-year-old child. And the reason is because physical maturity is so clearly seen. You can tell that a 12-year-old, which she is, is not 24. You can tell that someone who is 24 is not 40. You can tell that someone who is 90 is not 50. It is so easy to see physical maturity, right? But think about other types of maturity. Because our theme, again, we're supposed to grow up in every way. How about emotional maturity? Emotional maturity is a little bit harder to see, isn't it? Have you ever met somebody and you think they're emotionally mature right up until they have a bad day? Everybody looks emotionally mature on their good days, by the way. If you want to find out if one of your employees is emotionally mature, fire them. <laughs> After things break, stuff flies, windows are shattered, desks are tossed, you think, it's a good thing I fired them. Saved a lot of trouble that would have come later. If they don't do all of that, then you can rehire them, right? You ever been on a date with somebody? They look amazing, emotionally mature on the first date, great on the second date. Until you refuse the third date, you meet a whole other side of this person. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? How about spiritual maturity? Is that one easy to see? How many of you think spiritual maturity is easy to see just like physical maturity? 
How many of you think spiritual maturity is hard to see just like emotional maturity? I got more of you siding with me on that one. Well, the whole reason we're doing this series is because according to the Bible, we raised our hands for the wrong one. According to the Bible, spiritual maturity is actually easy to see if you know what you're looking for. And that's what we're building the series upon is, is trying to help ourselves grow up a little bit. Matter of fact, you've heard the saying, everyone grows older, not everyone grows up. You heard that saying before? And it's true of humans. It's true of humans in their character. It's true of humans in their emotions. Sadly, it's also true of Christians in their faith. You ever met somebody and, and asked, how long have you been a Christian? And they say, oh, you know, like 20, 30 years. And you go, really? You ever had that kind of response when you met somebody? So the whole point of this series is going to make it very, very clear. It's a three-part series. We're going to look at three signs of spiritual maturity so that you can see how to help all of the people around you grow up, because I'm sure you don't need it, right? Everybody with me? If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start at the end of our passage today. We're going to look at the goal, then we're going to back up and figure out how to get there. So if you've got your Bibles, you're following along, Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, and this is the Apostle Paul writing this, and he said, let those of us who are mature, all right, how many would say, me, I want to be among those, right? I mean, do you ever read the Bible that I want to be those? I did not get a lot of hands for wanting to be counted among the mature. This is the whole point of the series, everybody. We want to be mature. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So if you don't think this way, God will change that so that those who are mature will ultimately all end up thinking this way. What is this way, Paul? What is he talking about? Is he talking about having pure and holy thoughts? I mean, that would be great, right? Paul wrote a lot about that, but that's not the way that he's talking about right now. Do you think maybe he's talking about kind thoughts towards the people around you? Well, that would be good also, but no, that's also not the way. Do you think he's talking about having faith-filled thoughts? And that would be great also. But again, that's not the way that he's talking about. Actually, the way that Paul is talking about right here is a perspective change. It is a way that you look through a, a set of lenses, a particular set of lenses, and you see everything differently. And he's talking about the perspective that we have towards life on earth. When you look at life on earth, how do you see it? And he's about to describe how we should see it. And he says, let those who are mature have a perspective that changes how you see life on earth. So if you would, let's back up to verse seven. This is not the beginning of the passage. But it is where we're going to start just so that we don't read the whole book of Philippians together this morning. And he says this, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Gain counted as loss. That, that's kind of a confusing sort of idea. How does something that you once say, I'm so glad I have this, this is valuable to me, and, and now I count it as though it's no good at all? The best illustration I can give you is one that is very real and painful to most of us right now, and that is your stock portfolio. About two years ago, there was something in your retirement account that was your favorite thing. It was your favorite stock. For many people, it was Amazon or, 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 or whatever, Tesla. It was something. And every day you looked at it, the green just kept getting greener and higher, and your portfolio made you feel like you were amazingly rich. And then something happened. And now suddenly most of us look at our portfolio and think, I'm working another decade of my life now, right? Now here's the thing, maybe this didn't happen with your particular stock, I don't know which one it was, but imagine that that one stock that kept going up and up and up, that you're like, man, I'm so glad I have this, 
Imagine that company went broke. That did happen for some. Maybe that was your story. And so now you look at this and you would say, I wish I didn't have it. What you used to be grateful for, you now count it as loss that you actually have it. It's a negative. What used to be a positive is now a negative. Paul says, whatever I had that was a gain, I now count as loss. Well, it turns out he gave us the list. It's not just something that we could hypothesize about here this morning. But again, not to read the whole book of Philippians to you. He had just given us this list of things that used to be such great gain. And it was actually his resume. It was his resume as an impressive Jewish religious leader. That was the career path he had chosen. It was naturally born to him. You know, some people, it just comes naturally for them. If you're the son of LeBron James, you might not want to be a piano major in school. Basketball might work better for you. Well, Paul was already on a course of being this great religious leader because of his heritage, and he listed it. I was born of the best tribe of all of the Jewish tribes. I had the best training. I had the best upbringing. I've got the the genes. I've, I've had everything that you could have, and I am far beyond anybody who is my age. I am on the way to be in the next great Pharisee. The problem is then he met Jesus and the Pharisees were trying to kill Jesus. He had actually tried to kill people who had followed Jesus. And so now everything that used to make him great and was going to give him a great career was a career that took him nowhere he wanted to be. And he's saying everything that I once had, I'm walking away from because everything that used to be important is not going to help me get to Jesus or heaven. It's great on earth, but it's not great at getting towards Jesus or heaven. So he explains, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What he's saying is like, look, that that might be important to somebody. And the truth is, it even stayed somewhat valuable to him. Because of his incredible learning and the Jewish scriptures and understanding, he was able to point to Jesus using their scriptures more than anybody else. So it still had some value, but he's saying, look, the most important worth is that I know Jesus is Lord at this point. And and I think for you and me, we have to actually ask the question, is that true for you? If we're going to see life on earth differently, we actually have to look at Jesus, our King, a relationship with Jesus and go, thank God. This is worth more to me than anything. And see, the reason that it was so true for Paul is because he understood his sin. Paul had actually been a prosecutor, persecutor, and killer of those who followed Jesus. He watched them die. He he got letters to put them in prison. And suddenly he's one of them. You can imagine what happens, the guilt that you feel, the minute that you become what you used to try to kill, knowing that someday you will go to heaven and you have sent people there. Imagine how you would feel. But knowing that he will not have to pay for those sins because Jesus died on the cross for him. How real did that become to him? You see, when that becomes so real to you that you know you will never spend eternity in hell, you will never die on the cross, you will never pay for your sins because Jesus did, then you start to look at things on earth and go, how much money in a bank account is that worth? How much of this resume, how much of this degree, how much of that career, how much is that worth? And I think the struggle that many of us have to do what Paul did is because we have not embraced what we've actually been saved from. You see, if you think you're a pretty good person and you've lived a pretty good life, 
Well, then you don't think Jesus paid a very big price yet. And you don't count knowing him as of a surpassing worth and everything else. But Paul did. He knew who he was, he knew what he deserved, and he knew he would never get it. And he was so grateful. And that's why he says this, for his sake. It's Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Think about what he just declared. You know when you lose something of value, you remember that you've lost it? You keep looking for it. You keep wondering if it'll ever show up. Like, well, it's not where I thought it was, but you know, maybe in the next few weeks we'll come across it. Maybe someday I'll... I'll... Because you're keeping up with the value of that thing. But have you ever watched the garbage truck take away your garbage? Does anybody cry? Does anybody say, oh, my banana pills, they're leaving. And Paul, he actually declared things that way. I, I, I don't count them as, I count them as rubbish. They're garbage. I don't even mourn the loss of these things. I'm glad that they're gone because they were utterly and completely worthless. The reason we sometimes are still holding on to our value of things on earth is because we still think that's important and that's, that's valuable. But he, he explains, I'm doing this in order that I may gain Christ that I may know him, amen, Paul. I may know the power of his resurrection, amen, Paul, that I may know the, and share in his sufferings. No, no, Paul. I mean, isn't that where we get off the bus, everybody? That I may share in his sufferings? Yeah. Becoming like him in his death? Whoa, no, no, no. You see that by any means possible, if it's suffering, if it's becoming like him in his death, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul has one goal, that he ends up in heaven. Now think about that for a minute. Because Paul was being tortured on the earth. He'd been shipwrecked three times. He'd been beaten with rods three times. He'd been whipped by the Jewish leaders, 40 lashes minus one, five times. He'd been bitten by a viper. He'd been put in prison so many times we've lost count. And, and, and Paul didn't say that I would like to have those things less. He said, I just, I, just want to, I just want to wake up in heaven and see Jesus. That's the goal. I don't care about anything else. Wait a minute, Paul, you don't want to be beaten less? No, not really. You don't want to be shipwrecked less? No, not really. Don't really care. You don't want to be hated less? No, not really. You don't want to be in prison less? No, matter of fact, I get to do some of my best preaching and writing when I'm in prison. You don't, you don't want a better life? No, I don't care what happens to this body as long as it doesn't end with this body. I just, I just live for heaven. That's when he points out the obvious. He hasn't gotten there yet. He's not dead. So he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jump to verse 14, and I press on toward the goal for the prize. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You see, the goal is the finish line. If you're running a race, the goal is to cross the finish line. And if you cross the finish line, you are awarded a prize. 
And Paul says, if you are mature, you are chasing that prize. Let anybody who's mature think this way. And what you have to understand is the prize is not arbitrary. The prize is not different for you than it is for you. The prize is not something where we all say, I want this or you want that. The prize is not a prize box where you pick out what you like best. The prize is one thing only. What Paul is talking about here when he says it's the prize that he's living for is the fullness of blessings and rewards in the age to come. Not this one. Not this one. But here's the point. A mature follower of Jesus has their eyes on that prize. And an immature follower of Jesus, or maybe not a follower of Jesus at all, they have their eyes on a completely different prize. Their eyes may be on better circumstances here on earth. And our prayers, how many times do our prayers point to a different prize? God, could you just take this away? God, could you get me that? God, could you do this for me? God, could you? And don't misunderstand Yes, God is our provider. Yes, God loves us. Yes, we should go to God with our needs. The difference is that the immature people think that's the prize. It's not the prize. Someone who's immature may think the prize is about having the most stuff in this life. Someone who's immature may think that the prize is to impress people in this life. Someone who's immature may actually walk away from faith in God all because of what they experience in this life. But a mature follower of Jesus has a different perspective. It's what Paul's been talking about. It's an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective because you're living for a prize in the age to come that you know you'll never get in this one. You may get some blessings here because our God is good. There are certain rewards that'll come in this life, but they'll never compare to the ones awaiting us in heaven. And so the truth you and I have to wrestle with today, very simply, when you are mature, you have an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective. When you are mature, you think this way. That's what Paul was talking about. When you are mature, you have an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective. What you will gain in heaven outweighs anything that you could gain or lose in a life on earth. And some of you would say, well, how do I know if I have an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective? Thanks for asking. That makes the rest of my sermon much easier to communicate. The first thing that happens if we have an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective is we live by faith, not by understanding. We live by faith, not by understanding. How many of you in here have seen The Karate Kid? You know the movie The Karate Kid? How many of you have seen The Better Karate Kid, the original from my generation? Come on, y'all with me there? There you go, right? Okay. Now, I, had, I, I preached this message already, and I had someone point out, I don't know what you're talking about, Jimmy. I haven't seen Karate Kid, so let me help. Karate Kid starts with this kid wanting to learn karate, and so he asks for help, and the karate teacher begins by giving him what seems like mundane, pointless task to do. And, and as he gets frustrated and says, why am I having to do all of this stuff for you, like wash and wax your car and paint your fence and all this other stuff, he discovers that he had secretly been learning karate moves. You see, what I love about the Karate Kid, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because the Karate Kid actually helps us realize there are things that we go through that don't make sense in the moment, but they will later. There are things that we will experience in this life that will seem like a waste, but they're not. And the other great insight from the Karate Kid is that we learn our experience and our position really limits our insight sometimes. That's why we have to live by faith, not by understanding, because you see, our God is working an eternal plan. You know what that means? That plan is bigger than you and me. 
That plan is longer than the span of our lives. That plan is more complicated and complex than all of our circumstances put together. That's why the Bible tells us, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How many times as a Christian do we, do we cling to those words when we say, I don't understand what's going on and I struggle? Matter of fact, can I just tell you that that is what a non-Christian often will point at us for? They'll say, when your God doesn't make sense, you claim that, that you can't understand him and you just have to live by faith. Exactly. And you have a moment right there where you're going to have to choose. I want to side with someone who is not going to heaven, who does not believe in God because they want everything to make sense in their eyes. Or I can look like a fool and say, I trust what I don't understand and someday it will make sense. You're going to have to decide where you want to stand because you see, when life and God doesn't make sense, the immature often fall away. But the mature embrace the truth. God is God and I am not. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. God is God and I am not. And so the mature trust God. The mature accept that they are simply one part of an incredible eternal scheme that God has been working and will continue to work for, for, to full restoration, a new heaven, a new earth, and Jesus returning. We recognize we are one small part of that. You see, I love to play chess. And when I'm playing chess, I also like to win, by the way, which is one reason I only play my sons for the most part, because I taught them and I can still beat them. But there are some guys here in the church, they, they find out I like chess and they keep inviting me to play chess online. I always tell them I'm too busy. I really just don't want to lose, but um, I am moderately busy as well. Uh, so anyway, here's the point to that. Imagine that if, if I'm going to win at chess and I move a piece somewhere that I need that piece to be to help me win, and the piece says, yeah, I don't really like it here. I think I'm just leaving. And how many of us, when we don't have exactly what we want, the spot where God puts us on the board, we say, yeah, that is not what I signed up for. The unemployment spot is not really where I want to be, God. Well, you know, let me just move some pieces around. Well, you know, God, the sickness and give glory to you spot. Nope, I didn't ask for that either. See, all too often, God is working a great plan and we don't exactly like the part we get to play. But the spiritually mature say, yeah, I wouldn't have chosen this space on the board for me either, but I trust my God, and I know I'll understand someday. When you're mature, you have an eternal perspective. The second thing that this means is that we give for eternal impact, not for earthly accumulation. Now, look, I know none of us want to talk about money, so I'll do this one as quickly as I can. But here's the truth we need to know. How we spend our money on earth can have a temporary effect or an eternal one. Do you believe that? That was very weak. So now I have to prove it to you. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, because you can, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because you can. You see, the spiritually mature use their money to have the most in this next life, whereas the spiritually immature use their money to have the most in this life. I know some of you are very mad at me for saying that but it is the truth. And so for those of you that want to ask, 
okay, Jimmy, how do I store up for the next life? Because here's the truth. If you know that you're going to die, going to someone and saying, give me all your gold coins, I got to stuff my pockets because I'm about to die, still won't get it to heaven. You can stuff your pockets, it doesn't go. Actually, there are only two things that we see in scripture that stores up in the next life. The first one is give to people in need. Jesus flat out said, quote unquote, give to the poor and have treasure in heaven. When you see someone in need and you take care of that need. And for the record, you probably need to redefine poor. Because if you are in America and you could buy your own dinner last night, you were in the richest 1% of people on the earth. You are. And way too often, we get ourselves strapped by our own poor choices. We feel poor when we're actually rich. The second thing that the Bible tells us is to give to change the world through the church. The church is the only place where people can discover eternal life and experience abundant life. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the only thing that Jesus told his disciples he was going to build upon the earth. When you give towards that, you change someone's eternity. Now I'll move on. And although I won't talk about money, I saved the hardest one for last. You see, when you are mature, you have an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective. And that means that we expect perfect in heaven, not on earth. I don't know anyone that doesn't have a story of pain and suffering. Matter of fact, my particular career path of being a pastor means that I am usually the first to get called when someone is having their worst moment. And so, so much of my life, outside of the moment you see on this stage, so much of my life and the rest of our pastoral team is spent with people when they are in their greatest suffering. And they're trying to ask what's going on. And even if you're a Christian, it doesn't stop you from wondering and asking questions like, why God? What are you doing? Why do I have to go through this? Aren't you supposed to bless me? But the reality is many of the things that I have to walk through with people, it's a sickness that doesn't end well on earth. Or it's the death of a loved one. And you know what I've discovered about that? There is never a right time for someone to die. No one ever says, oh, I've got enough memories. I've got enough Christmases and Thanksgivings with them. No one ever says that. Maybe you're walking through a job loss, a circumstance that no human can look at and say, this is going to turn out for good. An injustice. We've all been through great pain and suffering, and if we're not careful, this is the moment where the devil shows up. Well, let me rephrase that. This is the moment where the devil shows up. And if we're not careful, we won't see what he's up to. Because it is at this moment that the devil will begin to whisper, hmm, I thought God was supposed to be good. Look at your life. Doesn't look very good. Maybe God is not so good after all. Maybe God's not there at all and it's when you are in that time of pain and you are expecting perfect on earth 
Every prayer answered, every sickness healed, everyone dying at 125, every job promotion, every financial blessing. When you expect perfect on earth, it is that moment when the devil whispers that you go, hmm, I think you're onto something. Matter of fact, one of the things that I get to do as a pastor is talk to people at various stages in their their faith and their struggle. And sometimes I've talked to people who do not believe at all. Sometimes I've talked to people who say they used to believe and no longer do. And I'm gonna tell you those two groups of people, some of you are here today in those two groups of people. When I talk to those two groups of people, they always have something in common. If they'll talk to me long enough, they'll reveal the hurt on earth that made them walk away. They'll reveal the hurt that they went through that made them decide there's not a good God on his throne. Here's what we need to know today. The mature is not someone who never suffers. The mature is not someone who never has a question. The mature is not someone who never cries. The mature is not someone who never feels pain. But the mature is someone who endures hardship on earth because they expect perfect in heaven, not here. Matter of fact, that's why scripture says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. I've preached on that before, but that meant his eyes were on the other side of what was going to happen when he came out of the tomb. For what he could see on the other side, he endured the cross. And I know you and I, we've been through some pain, we've been through some suffering, but has anybody here been through the cross? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners. Why should we do this? Why should we look to Jesus and the enduring that he went through? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because you're going to have some really painful days on earth. You're going to lose some things. And if you expect perfect on earth, I mean, for every one of us, it's going to be different. Maybe you've lost someone that well, you still wish they were your best friend and they haven't spoken to you in years. Some have lost marriages. Some have lost children. Some have lost fortunes. Everyone here has a list of pain and suffering of things you've lost on the earth. And hear this. My experience has been that most people are keeping a record of their losses. Expecting God to repay those in this life. You know, there are some things you're only gonna get back in the next life. My wife and I have two children that have beat us to heaven. We could be focused on the loss, but anytime anybody asks me, I always tell them I've got two kids already in heaven because see, my eyes are on what I will gain. It's not what I've lost here, it's what I will have there. I have four kids on earth. I will have six kids in heaven. 
You see, we've got to do like Paul did. We've got to reframe what we lost for what we'll gain. So let me close with where we started. Paul said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And that is to have a perspective that says there is nothing on earth, whether it is loss or gain, that is greater and worth missing out on eternity. Don't let the devil whisper. Matter of fact, that's my prayer. My prayer this morning was the second half of that verse. And he said, if in anything you think differently, let God reveal this to you. My prayer has been, I I just felt like the Holy Spirit showed me like scales. You put weights on them and they just tip. That some of you walked in here and your scales lean completely toward an earthly perspective. You're really kind of doubting your faith. You're not sure God is good. You're not sure you can trust his word. You've had too many things on the earth not go that way. And my prayer for you today has not been about my words, but about the Holy Spirit to tip the scales. That you take whatever you've been through on this earth and say, but a surpassing worth is that it doesn't end on this earth. That's my prayer for you. So I'm going to leave you with a challenging question that I think every one of us has to answer. Where is your perspective more earthly than eternal? If we could actually see the scales of how your way in life tip, where would, where would your scales tip towards the earth? I'll leave you with a, a more lighthearted story. But I think one of the first times that I began to, to realize that I had a, an, an earthly perspective when running into someone who had an eternal, had a friend of mine who had gone to school to get his doctorate at a rather prestigious university here in America, it was all the way to the point of needing to defend his dissertation. That's, you're, you're done. All you got to do is basically show up and thumbs up. And he refused to do it. I'm like, why? This makes no sense. He said, well, I got saved. You see, he was getting his PhD, which is a doctor of philosophy, in philosophy. He was getting a PhD in philosophy. And he had written his entire dissertation, done his entire coursework as an atheist. He didn't believe a single word that he had written. He says, I don't believe it anymore, Jimmy. How am I supposed to defend it? I said, you don't have to believe it later. Listen, man, you don't want to lose all the time you put into this. You don't want to lose all the money you put into this. Get the three letters after your name. You'll get a promotion. You can get a job anywhere in the country. You'll be famous. You can write books. You can talk about Jesus all you want. See, an earthly perspective weighs it that way. His was eternal. Those three letters are utterly meaningless now that I've met Jesus. So here's my promise to you today. There is absolutely nothing that you can gain or lose in this life that is worth missing out on the one to come. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you today and ask you for your help. We live in a world that places so much value on, well, really, everything that is not of your kingdom. We're surrounded by 
temptations to, to build much of our, our egos and our accolades in this life or to have much stuff in this life. And we're constantly expecting to be blessed in this life in every way possible. And yet we lose sight. If our very Savior had to suffer, then how much more should we join him in those sufferings? So God, we just ask you to help us. Help us. We know it's our immaturity. We come to you today as little children and say, God, we are not as mature as we want to be this way. So would you help us? Would you grow us up in our perspective of the way we see our lives here on the earth? And we thank you that you are a good God. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. You see, this whole debate and question and thought of an earthly perspective versus an eternal perspective begins the moment when you realize that, well, we've all sinned. And we're going to have to do something about that. And since it's too late to be perfect, the only thing we can do is either pay for our sins for all of eternity or be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. You see, God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life to die on the cross in your place so that his bloodshed, his body broken would pay for your sins and you could have what we call the free gift of salvation. And if you've never received that gift, I want to help you do that right now, wherever you are. Would you simply pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Today I pray, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great gain in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?